Welcome to The Balance. I'm Catlin Tucker, and this is an Ask Catlin episode focused on the flip classroom. And today I have with me my daughter, Cheyenne, who's going to lob questions at me. So I have somebody to chat with. So say hello to everyone. Hi. All right. What's the first question? Why would I record videos if I'm in class with students and can provide instruction live? All right. So I get this question a lot. Teachers are like, why would I put in all this time and energy to create video content, which there is definitely some time required up front, if I'm going to be in a class with learners? And I think what we really need to do is take a step back and think about the barriers that exist when we deliver instruction live, whether that is in a lecture or a mini lesson. Students might be having trouble staying kind of tuned in, paying attention. There might be undiagnosed hearing impairments impairments, memory issues. We have students struggling with attention kind of challenges. Students might not have the background knowledge to access information being transferred live or even the vocabulary. And then sometimes the pace of information is being delivered too quickly or too slowly to maintain our students' attention. So when we make video content, what we're doing is shifting control over the the rate at which students kind of consume that information and process that information to the learner. They can pause, they can rewind, they can rewatch, they can add closed captionings. If videos are hosted on YouTube, they can actually adjust the speed of a video. So we're making that information more accessible, making sure more students can hopefully take it in, process, process that information and retain it. All right, what's next? If I record a bunch of videos, won't I just put myself out of a job? No. <laughs> I actually had a teacher ask that very question in a training. She was concerned if she recorded her lectures and mini lessons, would she essentially not have a job or value? And I really think what that gets to the heart of is what we see as our value in a classroom. Like, is our value being the expert or is our value in being able to connect with learners and facilitate learning? So really, I think when we make video content, what we're doing is putting students in control of that experience, but we're also freeing ourselves to be able to move around the classroom, work directly with small groups of learners, individual learners, really focusing on that human side of teaching teaching. And that's what I think is really special about teachers. It's something that technology does not do well is that human side of teaching, right? Where we're listening, we're observing, we're interacting with learners, we're supporting them, we're organically responding to their specific needs, we're empathizing, we're compassionate. These are the parts of the job I'd love to see teachers lean into, but it's hard to do all those things when we're stuck at the front of the room transferring information, telling students everything we know about a topic. What's really good at transferring information is actually technology, right? We can watch a video, we can listen to a podcast, we can read an article, interact with a website to learn, to acquire new information. So if technology does that well, I think what we as educators need to do is to lean into what we do well, which is really building those relationships with learners. How do I decide when to make a video and when to provide instruction live? I encourage teachers to ask one question when it comes to should I make a video or should it be live instruction? If you are going to say the same thing the same way for everyone, all learners, 
I would consider making a short video or a series of short videos because in that case, students have control over the experience and you're not really planning to differentiate that instruction in any way. So for example, as a high school English teacher, when I would kind of talk students through, this is what a thesis statement is. This is where it goes in your introduction paragraph. This is how you structure and write one. I was gonna say that pretty much the same way for all students. So instead of doing that live, I created a video. And I cannot tell you how incredible that was after I created the video that it just paid dividends because there were so many kids who needed to hear that explanation over and over and over again, but I was not losing precious instructional minutes going back over that repeat content. Then for anything that's more nuanced, where we know students need maybe a different explanation, different groups of learners are going to benefit from us maybe focusing on different examples or pulling in different problems or prompts, and we'd like to differentiate the experience, then let's pull that into a small group teacher-led instructional session. Maybe build it into a station rotation. Or if students are self-pacing through a choice board or a playlist, we're pulling small groups for that differentiated instruction. So again, from my English experience, when I was teaching students how to analyze quotes or choose strong textual evidence, that was a more nuanced explanation. It was more cognitively challenging for learners, those skills. And so I would pull those into small group instructional sessions. I would choose texts and um, prompts at different levels of academic rigor and complexity. I might have additional scaffolds and supports on hand, like sentence frames for learners as they were trying to analyze a text, um, build in activities to kind of challenge them to evaluate different textual evidence for the strongest versus the weakest. And so really being thoughtful about what are we going to say the same way to everybody? Let's consider making videos. And what is a more nuanced, complex kind of conversation skill set that we want to pull into a small teacher-led differentiated instructional session? All right, one more. How can I make sure students watch the video? Yeah, this is a big one. I think the fear that students won't watch videos is probably one of the biggest hurdles that a lot of teachers face when thinking about making video content. So what I encourage teachers to do is always wrap the video in some kind of an engagement activity. So maybe you use a tool like Edpuzzle and you drop questions into the video. So as students are working through it, one, that progress is being captured by the platform, but they're also answering questions so we can get a sense of how effective was this video, right? Can we collect some formative assessment data? You could also pair a video with a guided note template that students fill in, a graphic organizer. They might have to post a response on an online discussion thread. So there's lots of different ways to get students thinking about the video content and completing some engagement activity that essentially is their proof of completion. And if they come to class and they haven't watched the video, is there a way to kind of set up some part of the room where they didn't finish the homework, they didn't do the work required to join the rest of the class. And so the first thing they do in class is watch that video, complete the engagement activity, and that serves as kind of their entrance ticket to the lesson. So I know it is scary to think about, gosh, what if kids don't watch videos? But 
there are some kids in class staring at us while we lecture or facilitate a mini lesson who are really not listening to us anyway. So how do we ensure that we're encouraging as many students as possible to watch the videos, um, come to class compared, come to class prepared, and also think about, you know, maybe if we don't want to send videos home with students because we're concerned they might not watch those videos, can we pull that video content into the classroom? Maybe it's an online station in a station rotation. Um, maybe we're building videos into a playlist so it's on-demand instruction and models. So there are so many different ways to use video effectively to position the learner at the center of the experience. And I wouldn't let fear of like, what do we do if they don't watch the videos stop us from trying this strategy. All right, so I told Cheyenne that we end these Ask Catlin episodes with a random question that I am not aware of, and so now she is going to pitch me a question that I have to answer that is kind of random. So what is it, Cheyenne? If you could meet up with any celebrity for coffee, who would you choose, why, and what would you talk to them about? Ooh, does this person have to be alive? No. Oh, well, I am a huge fan of Maya Angelou's work. And if Maya Angelou was alive, she is the person I would want to have coffee with. And I have about a million questions about her fascinating life, um, the books she's written, her poetry. So I think I would probably totally nerd out on her amazing writing and her fascinating life. Um, I would love to have some time with Maya Angelou. All right. Thank you, Cheyenne, for coming and helping me out with this Ask Catlin episode. If you have questions, you can find me on Twitter at Catlin underscore Tucker or Instagram at CatlinTucker.com. If you have any questions about education, teaching, blended learning, online learning, please reach out, send them my way. I would love to incorporate them in a future Ask Catlin episode. 